0: Hello, my name is Cynthia Hamilton Urquhart and you're listening to the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. Hey, are you
1: or someone you care about considering, dealing with, or being through a divorce or separation? Well, you're in the right place. You don't have to do this alone. There are people who care and want to help. Hi, I'm Dina Court an author, blogger, publisher, and empowerment coach. Thanks for joining me on the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. You are going to hear from our team of experts and professionals how to navigate this difficult transition in your life easier, more efficiently, and with better outcomes. Did you know we host online divorce resource groups that are free to attend and everyone is welcome. Check out the links in our show notes and be sure and join us. We love bringing experts to you. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com and stay tuned at the end for the legal language. Ready? Here we go. I am super excited to introduce you to a phenomenal woman, my friend, Cynthia Hamilton Urquhart, who's a retired RCMP officer. And she was in the force for 25 years. She is now a published author. She's been a speaker for quite some time now. Her husband joins her for some of these uh, speaking engagements. And she's all about connection and community and validating your struggles. And the book that she has just recently published is a journal called A First Responder's Voice. It is a way for people to deal with and heal from and understand PTSD. Let's meet her now. You guys are going to love the guest that I have brought to the show today. Cynthia Hamilton Urquhart is someone that I was fortunate enough to meet a couple of years ago, actually at a writing retreat. And I was so impressed with her heart for caring for people. And the more I've gotten to know her, the more I've gotten to love her and all that she stands for and all that she's doing to serve others. Welcome, Cynthia, to the show. Cynthia is a retired RCMP officer who served for 25 years with um, the RCMP. She is now a published author as well. We're going to talk about that with her. And her, along with her husband, have done some presentations for people. And I just can't wait for you to hear all about what they are doing. Cynthia, welcome. Please Tell us more about yourself and
0: your why. Thank you very much for the kind words um, and the nice introduction, Dina. Um, As you indicated, I'm a retired RCMP officer. I joined the RCMP back in 1985, and it was back when there were only, um, there weren't very many female officers, only 4% of the force were female. Uh, In today's... um, world. I believe it's somewhere around 21-22%. So it was a bit of a a trailblazing um, role that I played at the time. And women had only been in the RCMP for 11 years at that time. Um, I loved my career. I was fortunate to live in six different provinces I moved nine times. I'm not sure whether I could say I'm fortunate to have moved that many times, but it was, it was quite a bit, um, but it did allow me to see a lot of Canada. And uh, my husband is also a retired RCMP officer, and he served for 35 years. Um, for both of us, we were diagnosed with PTSD. Um, myself, it was back in 2013, and I had been retired for two years, and My diagnosis followed that of my husband's eight months prior to. So we came from an era where mental health was never discussed. Um, It was a sign of weakness. And unfortunately, today, that stigma still exists. And I have to say, um, when I was diagnosed, I was absolutely dumbfounded, even though my husband had been diagnosed. And the reason being, um, I didn't realize that women got PTSD. My only um, vision of, of mental illness with PTSD was what I saw on TV, you know, the Hollywood version of it. And it's just um, unfortunate because the stereotypes about what somebody who has a mental illness come from a lot of our um, media and um, entertainment world. So, um It was quite a journey and I learned a lot about myself throughout it. Um, I was treated at the operational stress injury clinic in Calgary and my husband received treatment and we still live with the consequences of having PTSD but what we have realized is that um, there is hope and you can move forward and I want to use my experiences to teach others um, what the journey is like Um, how difficult it is to um, live in a world where mental illness is stigmatized and people are fearful and they're fearful because they don't know a lot about it. Um, But yet there's hope out there for those of us suffering from it. And I also wanted to become um, a voice for first responders as well. And um, that started just with me sharing stories and people wanting to hear more and learn more. About what it was like to come from the first responder world. And, um, but what I found was that when I shared a story, somebody else had a story to share back with me. And um, it's that con- connection, the human connection and human suffering that we all endure, it's part of the human condition. So, uh, what I decided to do was to change how I was representing. Uh, the first responder world by becoming a first responder voice. And I have a social media platform that I launched where I really want to put out to the public um, a better understanding of what it is that we have to deal with and how they need to support the first responders in their communities.
1: That is, it's beautiful. It's something that you've taken that has been traumatic and using it to help others so that they know that they aren't alone and i think that stigma that you refer to is very strongly ingrained in our society and when when we face it and we and we know that we aren't alone that others have been there others have struggled then it's so encouraging and we're more likely to support a family member or a friend going through it, if we can understand better from someone like yourself, what those experiences have caused in you. And I love how you've told about discovering the extraordinary service, the extraordinary acts that you had no choice but to be involved in. That was, that was the line of work that you were in you were exposed to things that many of us have may never and, and have never seen or considered, you know, our brain just wants to kind of Mm -hmm. dodge away from it and, and avoid, and avoid that. Right. And you had no choice. This was how you served.
0: Yeah. And I, I think what I realized as I, um, Since I've been retired, is one thing that most of us as first responders don't recognize is the extraordinary work we do. And what I will say right away about that term, um, I don't mean extraordinary in the fact that we're better than anyone else. We're just very different. And I use the term specifically. I looked it up in the dictionary and it's um, something that is um, different or unusual to a marked extent. And if we don't realize that what what we do is extraordinary, then we don't understand that we could end up with extraordinary struggles and um, carry extraordinary burdens. The work that we do is our normal day-to-day life and we don't think about that. Um, But what we have to do is understand that it is so extraordinary and so outside of what um, people experience in a normal day-to-day world, that we're not equipped to deal with it and not on our own. So if we want to get um, support and uplift our first responders, we need the mental health support and um, proactively, not after we're running into problems, but we need to go into these careers um, with a really good understanding of uh, what to look out for, what the struggles can be. And then if we are struggling to have easy access to the care that we need. And what I tell people is that because first responder mental health care is complicated, inconvenient, and expensive, nobody wants to deal with it. And, um, you know, the sad part is because of that, um, we're pushed aside, there's still stigma. It's not convenient. If you're sick, then you also know that maybe your partner who is struggling, Um, Well, if you call in sick, what about them? It's just, it is, it's complicated, it's expensive, and um, it's just inconvenient for systems that are already broken to have to deal with it. So these are the things through a first responder voice that I speak about, and I'm trying to educate and get conversations going and say the status quo doesn't cut it, and we can't take our first responders for granted, Um, because we're not going to have any left. No one is going to want to take on those jobs if we're not being supported by the communities that we're looking after. The
1: part that I find isn't always considered that you have made great efforts towards bringing more awareness is how this affects the families, how it uh, affects the spouses of first responders, Especially if they have a similar relationship like you do, where you are both first responders, Mm -hmm. and then how how does that then affect their extended family, their children, the people around them that don't understand entirely what it is that they do or how it affects them? And yeah, I I love how you.
0: Sorry to catch you. No, that's all
1: right. I love how you've uh, started working even more so that way and. Enlisted your husband to help as well.
0: Yes, that was a gradual process, too. It's like, well, why don't you come along with <laughs> me on, the, on this one? Um, that's the other part of the equation with first responders. It, it is the family, it's the spouse, the partner. And um, my husband and I just recently spoke at um, a first responder uh, partner spouse retreat um that was hosted by to serve and connect canada and they support spouses and families and um that's exactly it you know when you um watch your spouse walk out the door and wonder if they're going to come home at the end of the day or the night um day after day after day that takes a toll Um, how do you pick up the pieces how do you support your first responder partner if they start to struggle with their mental health how um, is the family impacted in the children by the fact that, um, you know, uh, a family member, a mom, a dad, whoever um, is constantly not there because they're working. And the one thing I think people forget about um, first responders is that when you walk in the door, um, you're ne- you may not be on shift, but you're always on shift. It never stops. You can't just turn the switch off and um, forget about the fact that you dealt with a trauma or a tragedy that day or that night, or maybe two or three or four, or the one from a week ago. Um, It just doesn't work like that. So you're never really off shift. And um, the emotional toll that it takes on families and everyone is again, something our communities don't take into consideration. they're also sacrificing to serve their communities by being and supporting the first responder spouse.
1: Well, in the majority, I, I mean all cases of of their work situations are are human interactions, human and it's not, you know, not to discount people that work with machinery all day, but you're you're working with other humans, you're seeing them in in very difficult situations that um you know hmm. we don't we don't like to consider that humans can either act that way or have been hurt that way or uh are in a, in a danger and and the adrenaline that that a person is living with um on numerous it could be numerous times during one shift yeah just And so you... and that's the frontline person then they come home like you say, and you you can't just turn that off. You still have those conversations or those scenes
0: mm-hmm.
1: in your memory, and you now come home to a spouse that is very stressed, mm-hmm. and and may not know how to express their concern. They may be terrified of of what you've seen and the unknown, and and maybe lash out sometimes in frustration. And I I can just sense that there's a lot of communication struggles with spouses. And it's probably a, a very difficult relationship
0: to maintain. There's a lot of layers there. There really are. And, um, what my husband and I, when we're speaking at any of these events talk about is communication is, is key. And, um, understanding how your partner works, and I'm talking from both perspectives. Um, You know, do you talk to your your spouse about maybe what went on at shift, the things that you're permitted to discuss. Mm -hmm. Maybe your spouse wants to know, maybe they don't want to know. Maybe you do want to tell them, maybe you don't want to tell them, you know, the disconnect. How do you, how do you work through that? How do you uh, figure out a plan about decompressing when you are done a shift and you've got young children at home that um, are waiting for you to be there a hundred percent for them? And how do you give after you've just dealt with um, a tragic set of circumstances? Um, the layers are are deep and it's complex. And um, the event that we had, the spousal retreat by To Serve and Connect Canada, is wonderful because it gives um, spouses and partners an opportunity to connect with others and they exchange ideas. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? What happens here? Um, you know, for my husband and I, we um, we've been married about 20 27 years now and when we got married we were both divorced before and so we ended up with a blended family of five children you know how do you deal with that um in the best of circumstances let alone um the fact that you're both first responders so so there's so many different layers to it and communication is the key and um realizing there is life outside of your work but how do you balance that when you're Um, a young person and you have children and work is all consuming in those earlier years in your careers. Um, There's nothing, there's nothing easy about it. And one other thing I wanted to say um, to Dina is that a lot of times we'll have people will say to us, well, you signed up for it. You signed up for the job, right? You know, you knew. And what I always say to, to those people is that I signed up to serve my community in whatever capacity, you know, as a police officer, a firefighter, but you never truly know and understand what lays before you and how can you because you've never experienced it before. Um, You also don't understand that the support that you're expecting may not be there. From a mental health perspective or whatever, whatever type of support you're looking for, Um, you may not understand that the organizations themselves are struggling to find better ways to do things and how are um, how are the employees treated within the organizations, all of those things play a role so yeah I may have signed up for it. Um, but there's lots of things I didn't know came with the package, and I didn't understand. And you don't know how you'll respond to some of these tragic situations and traumas until you're exposed to them. So um, it's not it's not a fair comment. And um, I think we just it, it's another reason why we have to say, hey, if somebody is struggling under the circumstances because they've dealt with they've dealt with um, difficult circumstances, and these are life. These are life threatening circumstances, not only for potentially the police officer, the firefighter, the medic, EMS, our dispatchers, our 911 dispatchers get left behind a lot, but they arrive on the scene before we do through the phone call. Um, and they're dealing with people, um, our corrections officers, anybody that is serving the community to keep the community safe. Um, we don't know everything about what we're getting ourselves into when we join. And um, therefore, we need to have the supports available to support everybody who is contributing and trying to do the best they can in the job that they're in.
1: I'm happy you address that, Cynthia, because I think it's a very common
0: mm-hmm. thought
1: process that people go through. I mean, that's related to marriages many many things (laughs) right but it's 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 painful to consider uh every shift you don't even know what you're going to face and how you're going to react to it until that's happening and you may in one community have support and and like you've moved you said what nine different times with your work And experienced a variety, I'm assuming, of support from your peers or Mm -hmm. lack of support. And that, the whole mental health thing and that whole stigma that is around it. I'm just picturing as a spouse, whether it's the husband or the wife, returns home after a shift and they are struggling. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be perceived as weak or not being able to handle their job, that could panic the family. Well, what are we going to do if you can't do this job? Now what? What if you need to take a leave? Will there be a reduction in your pay? Where what what will the others think? You know, I'll go out into the community and everyone knows that my husband or wife is off on stress leaves. Uh how will that be perceived? Mm-hmm. There's there's so much that it, that is to be considered around this and the work that you are doing is phenomenal to help bring that awareness, build that compassion and help support families so that they aren't struggling with this entirely by themselves and feeling alone. So I, Thank you. I want to make sure that we mention again, the first responder voice is where Cynthia is on social media. And yes. she is there creating a community where you can connect and find validation for your struggles and, and other, other ways that she supports. What is very exciting is she is a newly published author and she is making a way for people to be supported in a new uh, with a new tool, let's say, that is going to be widely available, very highly applicable to many of the first responder positions that you have listed and beyond those. And I'm really happy you mentioned the dispatchers too. So please tell us more about this new journal that is available to support people and who it can support and i i have a feeling it's more than just
0: the mm-hmm. actual first responder cuz i have had a sneak peek at it <laughs> thank thank you um yes i'm very excited about this um this journal and and i call it a book journal i i sometimes i wish i could have i Put it in the title, but I didn't. And the reason the reason I um, call it that is it's not it's not a regular journal that people are familiar with, where you just write write down your thoughts. It's a guided, prompted journal to help, help encourage mental health care, help encourage taking first steps, and helping um, first responders, their families, friends, and anyone connected to the first responder world find the words that they need to be able to convey that they're struggling. And um, so it's called the first responder voice, a prompted guided journal for first responders. Um, and the purpose, the reason I wrote it is I just, I was so tired of sitting back and watching um, former colleagues um, and other first responders really struggle with their mental health. Um, some of them taking their lives by suicide. It's still happening too frequently. Um, The reality of the world that we're in today is that we don't have enough people to provide the appropriate mental health care. Um, There are programs out there, they're not easily accessed. Um, Just to give an example, if um, if you work in a rural area policing, whether it's RCMP, it could be the Quebec Provincial Police, Ontario Provincial Police, um, if you work in a small rural community you don't just drive down the road to the psychologist's office and, and go for an appointment um, you don't have access to that care so there's the reality is there's lots of struggles um, in some of the smaller detachment areas where um, first responders can work there may only be three or four of you and if you go off sick um, and it's something difficult it's the guilt that you feel because you're leaving behind three members by themselves, whether it's firefighters, like I said, or dispatchers or whoever it is. um, It's just complicated. So I wanted to be able to provide support in some way. And in my perfect world, I could meet with everyone and give them all of the advice and experience and the circumstances that I've been through. um, But that's not real. So it's almost like a peer in your pocket. It's, it's a, it's a book. It's 181 pages. It's filled with, um, information. It gives uh, a glimpse of my story. Um, I actually have a poem in there that I wrote, which really gives people a glimpse of um, what it's like to be on a call. And I'm using it for first responders because I want them to feel what they need to feel and then to write it down. There's questions, um, different sections in the journal that uh, deal with family, deal with work, um, deal with, um, feeling, um, disconnected, all these different things. So it gives an opportunity for the first responder or the family member, whoever it is to think about these things and be asked, um, it's got some resources in the back as well, in case people need support. And if, um, it really encourages people to, to reach out and take those first steps. So what now you finish. you finish this journal, you know, maybe you only filled in two questions. Maybe you filled in the whole book. Um, You don't, it's a safe place to write things down where you're not judged. It doesn't matter if you write in full sentences or throw a word down or draw a picture. I've tried to incorporate everything. And like I say at the start of the journal is that, you know, I'm not a therapist and I'm not a counselor, but I I am someone who has um, lived experience within the first responder world. And that experience comes from my own personal experience of 25 years and my husband's of 35 years. And with every move we made, we interacted with 911 dispatchers and firefighters and EMS and paramedics and, corrections officers and military um, and all of the lived experiences and interactions that we've had with all those people. So this is just um, my way of giving back and saying, if you're struggling, please. And it could be a spouse purchases it for a partner. It could be a friend that purchases it, it could be a family member. And even though it's geared towards um, first responders realistically, Anybody could pick it up, and um, that's dealt with trauma or tragedy, and take a look at it and learn from it, and start thinking and reflecting on what their own struggles are, um, the importance of taking those first steps, and how that might happen. And this is what I've I've addressed in in the book, and I'm just really really excited about it. I think what I love the most about this is
1: the title first responders voice is an invitation to hear you share why this is important to you, that you have been there, that this is your voice telling your truth and encouraging them to maybe consider that they have something to deal with, that they that the reactions the strong feelings the anxiety whatever reactions they're feeling do have a root cause that you have similar you have in common and like you said you were you were dumbfounded that you were diagnosed with PTSD and this is 8 months after you supported your husband through getting that diagnosis and seeing what he was dealing with you were in the same home and in a relationship and had experienced 25 of the 35 let's say Mm -hmm. roughly that he had (laughs) experienced and and you still were taken by surprise by that
0: diagnosis yeah so actually my husband tricked me (laughs) into treatment um and it's because it manifested itself so differently and again it's that messaging for some people it may look like mood changes and mood swings and um something a few of the symptoms that most of us have probably heard about when you think of PTSD. For myself, it was the opposite. It was a sense of overwhelm. I wasn't able to make decisions. Um, I wasn't sleeping well. i um, I woke up um, every morning to the image of um, a child that I wasn't able to save. And I thought that was normal. I thought it was normal because I'm a police officer those happen to be my memories. It's not normal. So this is why I talk about this because um, in the same household um, was someone with PTSD and I didn't even recognize it in myself. And it wasn't until my husband started undergoing treatment that he recognized the more he learned about it, that I was struggling, but in a different way. And that's lack of education um, as far as we are with first responders. So We're talking about it more, which is a fantastic thing. Um, Some organizations are bringing in programs that are are amazing and and other organizations aren't able to. And the problem is that it's all over the place. And um, we just need to be able to speak out about the reality of what the struggles are. And I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. One of my first thoughts was, what about all those people that said to me, I don't know how you do it. You're raising a blended family. Your spouse is is a police officer. You're a police officer. Wow, you are amazing. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm not amazing. Not only am I not amazing, I'm a failure. And those are the things that we deal with based on the nature of the jobs that we're in. So um, this book, I hope so many people read it and learn about what our struggles are especially the first responders we tend to be the hardest on ourselves even if we recognize um that we that weakness is not a valid way to describe what our struggles are in any way shape or form we still think it it's the nature of the group that we work within and Some people may criticize me for saying it, but it is the reality and it is still going on out there. And um, unfortunately, in many cases, um, programs that are brought into organizations are boxes that get checked off. Yep, we did this, 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 and this, but how effective are your programs? Are the members actually able to access it? Are they improving? And when you're running organizations that are broken, that are short-staffed, that don't have enough funding, um, this is another complication that you have to deal with.
1: It's It's so huge and it impacts, it ripples out and impacts so many people. And I'm hoping that we can get this book into the hands of so many, whether they support a family member or a friend, or maybe they support and then once they start reading it, they start recognizing that, exactly. that they also have been affected in ways they, they didn't realize and that they, they do need help and, and compassion for themselves as well as, as those around them, whether yes. they were frontline or, you know, whatever it was, I really uh, encourage anyone who's listening to check this book out get every i i challenge anyone to go through their contact list and and tell me that they have not one single person that's a friend or a neighbor or a relative that has served in some capacity in this way as a frontline um, i'd like to also say you know the first responders yes but there's emergency room nurses those are one of the first the ambulance, you know, obviously all the ambulance, the EMS, but even in the medical field, when, when, you know, this whole pandemic, we've just been through, there is a lot that went on. And it added a whole new element to the, the whole stigma and the trauma, you know, the, the, the whole blame game of what's really happening, and who's supporting what and, and they're just trying to do their job. Yeah, yeah and, I think and
0: it really can, it, it really can help them. I actually, I talk in the, in the book, in the beginning of the book about um, moral trauma and sanctuary trauma and, and just a, a very quick moral trauma is when you're trying to um, deal with circumstances as a first responder or a frontline worker, um, such as the medical field. And um, you don't have the appropriate resources to be able to give the care or provide the help that is necessary and and that's a moral trauma you're you're trying to do the best you can it's not what you trained for and for the first responders um especially in the medical field during during covid it was absolutely horrendous for them and sanctuary trauma is really uh, when the organization that you work for um puts so much pressure on you or causes another type of trauma because you're not being supported not being supported by the organization that you work for and you're expecting them um to provide that support and to look after you as an employee and you're not getting it and it can be extremely traumatic um in different types of circumstances so so this is what the book does it talks about these different terms ptsd you know what is that what is trauma anyway um And so part of it is the education component to say, hey, here are the terms, but I describe all of this in in my own language, um, in terms that um, will be familiar and easy to understand for uh, people looking to educate themselves on on the topics. And I appreciate you um, saying to people, look, if you know someone and um, you want to support them, Pick up a journal and offer it to them. And if they feel they don't need it, um, certainly they could give it to someone maybe they know that is struggling. And and the book isn't just for people that are struggling. The whole idea as well is for first responders to become aware if there's red flags. Here's what you need to watch out for. Keep this in mind. If this if these thoughts are coming into your head, maybe you need to be going ooh. You know, I'm not sure I should be thinking like this or um, write down the things, um, responses to the questions that I'm asking and think about them and just think, oh, I've never thought about that. Is that a thing? Oh, is that a problem? Um, so it comes at the issue from all different, per- all different um, pathways to try to say, hey, as first responders, we need to understand that what we do is extraordinary. It causes, it can cause extraordinary burdens that result in extraordinary, um, uh, the requirement for re- extraordinary care in, in a lot of cases. Uh, we need to be educated. We need to know what the red flags are. Um, here's, here's, here's how you can take first steps. How does this feel for you? Who could you potentially reach out to? Um, there's resources in the, in the back. I've even got a list of about seven or eight songs that um, I find very um, encouraging in the book that I'm suggesting to people, listen to the songs, maybe make up your own list. So I just put everything and anything in there that I could draw from that might actually make a difference. And again, I know this is cliche, but if it helps even one person, um, then for me, all of the work that I put into it is has been worth it. I want to bring this back to couples and families
1: again and how this tool I feel would be amazing for a spouse to get and read through or look at and to open conversations, to sit down and work through this together and use it as an opening, you know, have have you felt or thought these things? Is this something you've experienced? And it would help that communication and help them explain what they're feeling, what they've seen, what happens, how it's affecting them, mm-hmm. and it would give them like a therapist, not a therapist, but it would give them a, it's like a, a, voice. a conversation, a prompt of voice, and it's that first responder voice. It's you sitting down with them as a caring friend saying. This is what I've seen. This is what I lived. I'm concerned for you. If you are in this situation, I, I want to care for you in this way. And with this book, you can do it with a far larger audience than when you or you and your husband speak to groups. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful to hear you share, but this is another way that they can sit down on their, on their own time and their own space and, and, work through this a bit and and have those conversations and it might be a son a daughter a a grandson mm-hmm. uh, an aunt uncle friend neighbor and you you offer this and say hey you know I I found this and it really made me think about you and maybe you would like to look at it, and if you want to talk about it I'm I'm here I'd like to understand better what
0: what your world is like and what you're dealing with there's so many ways to use this book yes and that and that's what I like about it. And, you know, um, it's, it's getting the conversation started. And a lot of times trying to get the conversation started, it gets shut down right away. And that was my hope. Um, and that was my hope with even coming up with the first responder voice platform and name to say we, you know, we do have a voice and we don't use it, we use it to, to help others. Uh, we don't use it to help ourselves. And, you um, It's like I I say, helping others is what we do, helping ourselves, not so much, because we don't know how to. We're experts in everybody, solving everybody else's issues. And um, what's also good about it is that, um, you know, we talk about first responders, but there's huge struggles for first responders who have retired and um, are on their own, or um, all of those years of work, maybe they've made it it through the years, but things come back in... um, Uh, when they're in their retirement years and um, same thing with military veterans and that so it's not just active members but it's also it's also those of us who have retired because we tend to be more isolated and reaching out isn't as easy and we don't have an employer and unfortunately um, for the organizations that um, do um, extend help to us um, sometimes it's very difficult to get the help even though it's there Um, accessing it isn't simple and it's not made easy for us either so um, it isn't always as it seems and again this is why um, I have this book and you're right to use it as a tool to get conversations going um, no matter what that looks like even if it's leaving it on the table and somebody walks by a first responder voice oh what's that about and and um, get started from there so That is is my hope, Dina, that it's that gap, like I said, it's a peer in in your pocket, somebody (laughs) and something you can carry around. And even when you go to take those first steps, if you've written down um, responses to the questions that I've asked, if you go see a therapist and you find it extremely um, intimidating to talk or have conversations about those topics, if it's in the journal, you can pass the journal to them and just have them read what, what the issues are that you're dealing with. Or um, you may not even know their issues, but yes, um, for example, a question, um, you know, do you have um, thoughts that pop into your head from calls you've been on from years ago or, or days ago, whatever that looks like, um, without warning? And, you know, how you respond to those questions is um, all of a sudden you may recognize like, oh, um, maybe those visions aren't supposed to be there in the front of my mind every day. And gee, maybe I am struggling. And that's why I can't make decisions. I didn't realize that um, my, my energy is being drained, because I'm seeing these visions that I don't want to see. So it's taking up mental energy. So there's so many um, perspectives, uh, so many uses, so many ways this book Um, journal can support people that I just really hope that it gets out to the people that that need to see it well I'll do all that I
1: can and my hope too is I don't know if you know any statistics and I didn't do any research on that of marriages that fail be where there is a first responder as either one or, or both partners you know that's my heart is with those families um you know all first responders we're so grateful for the service that they provide to our communities but the families that are affected and the children uh do you happen to know if it's higher in those cases than than in general
0: um unfortunately i don't know numbers in the statistics but i do know that the um Uh, the rates of divorce amongst uh, first responders is quite high. And um, for myself, that's where um, if we can educate and um, provide programs for couples that are in first responder relationships and marriages and um, help them deal with all life is difficult in the best of circumstances for people. Marriage is difficult in the best of circumstances for people. And you're always working and growing and developing and needing to communicate. But when you bring um, a first responder into that relationship, it's extremely difficult um, to manage. It it can work and it can work wonderfully. And for anybody who's listening to the podcast, please don't give up. If you you're having a hard time. But on the other hand, you also have to recognize that if it is something that isn't going to work and you are struggling, you need to look after yourself as well. So it's both perspectives there, but um, what's going to make it work is communication and connection and support, um, peer support, support from people who have made it through and, um, their marriages are thriving and um, getting the information out there so it, it can be very isolating when um, somebody doesn't understand for the the 10th time your spouse is working this holiday and you don't get to celebrate with them or they had to cancel last minute or um, the children um, hear about a first responder that is injured on the job or was killed on the job. And how do you console a child? Um, Does the family have access to therapists to help support them through those things? So um, it is difficult and it is a journey, but it's a journey that can be an incredible journey as well, um, especially if you have the right, the right supports.
1: That's fantastic. And you are definitely doing what you can to be a support and an educator. And your husband is involved as well, which I think is just a beautiful partnership because you can both speak from being a spouse to a first responder as well as being a first responder. Do you have any events coming
0: up where you will be speaking or presenting? Um, I don't actually right now. I don't. Um, I know that there is a. um uh, Darn, I am sorry, Dean. That's okay. I kind of just threw that out out there. (laughs) You know, I think the book coming out um, and the summer coming up is for me is been something that I've been looking forward to a break because it's just, I've just been going all out with it and I've just kind of um, put a stop on everything I've been doing and said, you know what, I'm going to take a couple of months and just... um, just let myself be because the the work is for me it's very emotionally charged when I'm doing it and one want, and wanting to do these things obviously with the with um, the book I have things to follow up on but I really am just taking a break and going to um, give myself some time to recharge and my husband as well to recharge over the summer and uh, we'll be heading back to the Maritimes for a wedding we're both originally from New Brunswick and um, so we're heading back actually to Nova Scotia for a wedding this summer, and looking forward looking forward to doing that and visiting family, and um, hopefully having nothing to do for maybe a full week all at once. Well, that's a lesson in itself, Cynthia,
1: because you talked about one of the symptoms that you experienced was overwhelm mm-hmm. and difficulty making decisions, and I'm guessing that boundaries might have been something too, and allowing yourself a little a little space. And that you've learned and I'm happy. I'm I'm so proud of you for having the book done literally that I'm um, just days ago and it's published now and it's a well-deserved break. And with summer coming up, that's going to be fantastic. We will be sure to have you back again, because I think we need to have more conversation around what you've experienced and share more of your first responder voice with the audience because it it's resonating with others you've already seen that Mm -hmm. when you speak and when you present and when you've shared and we want to get some more of of your voice out to the public and create more of that compassionate net that is there to to or the big you know the the warm embrace for those uh and free of stigma. Yes. Just trying to bust that stigma. I thank you so much for joining the show today, for sharing what you have experienced, for putting this book out into the world and, and offering your voice as a comfort, as a, you know, I, I just, I kind of see it as a, I keep seeing it in my mind as a lighthouse,
0: <laughs> you uh. know?
1: I, I don't know why, but that is what I see in my mind is a bit of a lighthouse for people that, you know, they're crashing in the storm of life and they know that there's somebody who's been there and cares and, and understands them and, and isn't, isn't going to judge them and is trying to help others understand in the same way.
0: Thank you. So, well, thank you, Dina, for just even giving me the platform to speak and, um, you know, what you do. Uh and getting my voice out there through the advocacy work that you do yourself, um, it's what hopefully will start to change our world because we need kindness and compassion and understanding of, of um, what people are dealing with today. So thank you so much. And I would love to come back again. Fantastic. Hopefully you heard
1: something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or a suggestion for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information. Follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through divorce or separation. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com. The link is in the show notes. Our disclaimer, divorce resource groups, blog, and all content, including our podcast, is intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information, The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada does not constitute endorsements for nor liability for any claims made in the presenting of this information.